Welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson. Today we're with Abby Rollo of the Gateway Farm in Bristol, Vermont. Abby's talking about how she and her husband are building their dream farm from scratch and starting a business with four kids in tow. She shares how they have gradually built and diversified their farm, including the farm fresh meats they raise and sell, and how they're bringing maple and birch syrup from their trees to your table. Plus, you'll learn how they're carrying on the family legacy of sugar makers. So here we go with Abby Rollo. Okay, well, we're here today with Abby Rollo from the Gateway Farm in Bristol, Vermont. Abby, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about you. I hear that you grew up on a dairy farm in Vermont. Yes. So my childhood was on a dairy farm. Um, We were a conventional dairy farm. And when milk prices got tough, my family farm transitioned to organic dairy. And my mom started making um, some artisan cheeses. Um, So that's my childhood. We did a little bit of raising our own meat chickens and some beef and a little bit of pigs here and there. So I was always exposed to that. Um, I went to uh, continue my education in agriculture and graduated and just knew that I always wanted to have a farm of my own. Um, I met my husband uh, when we were in high school and he actually went to college as well for agriculture, having grown up on a small diversified farm. And we just both had this dream in mind of having our own farm. And here we are trying to make it still happen. (laughs) I love that. So as you mentioned, this was part of your plan for a long time. And you actually brought it into part of your studies at college too, right? Yes. Yep. So I, when I was a senior at UVM, my senior project for graduation was um, a business plan. Um, and it had to be pretty real life. And uh, my senior year, I was already married to my husband, Trent. And this farm that we're on right now came up for sale And so I wasn't sure if I actually wanted to live here and start a farm here, (laughs) but it, it was perfect because it was for sale in real life. And, you know, it had all the qualities of a farm that we were looking for, for what we wanted to do um, with the maple syrup and the meats and everything. And uh, so I did this business plan and I put a lot of heart into it. And I was kind of falling in love with the idea of living here (laughs) after all that work. And I presented it in front of a panel of loan officers at UVM. They came from all different kinds of banks and they were real life loan officers. And only one out of the eight said that it was possible. And basically the other ones laughed at me. Um, And their their reasoning was my husband, he does construction for a living right now, but he's basically a jack of all trades and can do pretty much anything he can. Love it. So yeah, our, our business plan was basically buying the farm and literally doing everything ourselves. The house was caving in. So we had to build a new house. So 
from harvesting the trees off of our land to milling them into lum lumber and building a new house and settling here, building the sugar house for our maple syrup production, building a barn for livestock, everything is dependent on my husband doing it, that building it and doing it um, so we can save money. And that was just kind of something that bankers don't really like to hear. Um, yeah. And uh, there was one loan officer who actually was my parents' um, agricultural loan officer at the time. And he said he remembered me as just a little kid running through the barn um, at my parents' farm. And he watched me grow up and he actually knew my husband, Trent, as well, and his parents. And he knew what we were capable of. He knew our families. And he is actually the one who wrote us the, our mortgage. Um, and so we purchased our farm in 2014. And we moved here in 2015 after we got most of the house done and livable. <laughs> wow. But yeah, yeah, that's kind of how we got here. That's a major undertaking. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> But, you know, my husband really wouldn't have it any other way. He loves to do this kind of stuff. And, you know, when we were done, I mean, our house still needs a little bit of siding on it, as I'm sure I've shown people on Instagram. But, you know, for the most part, the sugar house, we're putting an addition on it right now. But, you know, it's so satisfying to step back and see what we've been able to do on our own so to speak not to say that if you're going to hire someone to do build your dream that it's not satisfying but I feel like this just gives it a little edge and you know having our kids we now have four kids and at the time when we started we had one you know that's been fun to watch everything grow all at once it's just exciting I love it so how long have you been producing your own maple syrup on the farm yeah. So as I mentioned, we purchased the farm in 2014. We moved here in 2015. Our first maple season was in 2018 and we make our maple syrup in the spring. So it was spring 2018. Um, and we started in 2017, putting up um, all of the main lines and everything needed for sugar production, maple syrup production, I should say, um, in 2017, um, prior to 2018. It was a huge undertaking <laughs> and wow. we probably had way too much going on. We were trying to build the sugar <laughs> house and do the woods all at the same time and it was really crazy and we had basically all of our sap tanks. So the raw sap tanks, we had all of them full of sap and we were still waiting on a piece of equipment to come in so we could start boiling our first boil ever. And so it was a stressful couple days having all of our sap tanks full and sap still running, but it showed up and we had it installed in 15 minutes and our first boil was really amazing. <laughs> wow. So yeah. I'm from Iowa and I don't know a whole lot about the maple syrup process, yeah. but I can only imagine there's a lot to it. So how did you guys learn the trade? So my husband, Trent, on their diversified farm, he has, I think it dates back to his great, great, great grandfather or family there on his dad's side, um, were sugar makers. Um, 
or I say sugar makers, that's what we refer to each other here in Vermont. I'm not sure how other states do it. Um, but sugar makers are basically people that make maple syrup. And um, so it's a generational thing on his side of the family. And he grew up making maple syrup with his dad. Um, at their farm, they had a small sugar house. And he has really great memories of getting home from school. And he grew up with draft horses. So his dad would hook a team of horses and uh, pull a wagon. And him and his brother had the duty of dumping sap buckets um, into a big tank and collecting sap that way. Um, and it's evolved over time. We've gotten a little, we've gotten much more modern. So we actually don't have buckets anymore, but um, so what it is is it's like uh, tubing that goes all throughout the woods and it goes to each individual maple tree. And we tap the tree every winter to collect in the spring. And that maple tubing gravity feeds down to our sugar house, which is where we boil the sap into syrup. Um, so that's how we kind of got into it. Trent grew up with it um, and he absolutely loves it. He loves being outdoors. He loves working in the woods. And he just, that was his dream to start a maple sugaring operation of his own. And eventually we'd love to like have him step away from construction a bit and do some more stuff on farm. Um, and I think that uh, he would love, so we're at about 12,000 maple taps right now and he would love to do more. <laughs> so wow. that is like the dream is to maybe expand a little bit so that he can step away from construction a little bit and just do what he loves all the time. Um, but yeah, that's how we kind of got into the maple part of it. What a great legacy to pass on to your kids too. Yeah. Yes. Very much so. So in addition to maple syrup, you also have birch syrup. Tell yeah. me what's the difference. Yes. So the, you know, birch is another species of tree and he had heard about birch syrup through the internet and there's someone about two hours away from us in Vermont that started doing it and it really intrigued him because you can use all of the same equipment that you already have for maple syrup and um, you know we have a good healthy population of birch trees on, in our woods on our farm so he wanted to make use of that and so we tap birch trees the same way we do maple trees and they're actually black birch trees because you you have black white and yellow um, and I'm not sure there's much of a difference in the taste but we tap black because that's what we have and um, we make it the same way as maple syrup. It's raw sap. It kind of comes after the maple season. It overlaps maybe a week or so. And we boil it the same way. We boil it down to the same density sugar as maple syrup. And it just has a totally different flavor because it's a totally different species of tree. And our most common description that we get from customers is a tangy molasses. Um, so it's definitely not something you pour on your pancakes, which someone almost did, and I felt awful. Um, they're like, it's good, but not on pancakes. <laughs> and um, yes, um, so we use it a lot with baking. Um, we'll use it in a marinade or a salad dressing. Um, it's really good in some granolas. 
and um, I will just dump it over a piece of whatever meat I'm cooking. It's really good on pork chops, um, any kind of chicken, and we throw them in with burgers, and it's just a really good pairing with meats, and the Alaskans actually have been making it for decades, um, actually centuries probably, and because they have a ton of birch out in Alaska and it pairs really well with fish and that's just uh, something that you know they have birch and they have fish and that's just what they've always done so birch syrup is actually really really common out in Alaska uh, Canada starting to get into it and it's actually common in Russia as well wow I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, it is and so uh, and I guess one of the other biggest differences is um, with maple syrup, it's on average about 40 gallons of raw sap to make one gallon of syrup. And with birch, because the sugar content is so much lower, it's about 200 to 250 gallons of raw sap to make one gallon of birch syrup. That always fascinates me how much it takes for to make a gallon. Yeah, it is crazy. It is. Well, beyond syrup, there are also many other aspects to your farm. Tell us about the other parts of your farming operation? Yeah, so um, I mentioned previously, I grew up on a dairy farm, so I've always had this admiration and love for animals, you know, specifically cows, just because that's what I grew up with mostly, but I just, I absolutely love animals, and so we had, when we purchased this farm, we have about 350 acres here, and it had 300 acres of just woods which is what my husband wanted and I'm like all right well I need some animals and we'll we'll meet halfway here and we'll do a little bit of what both of us want um and he's he's totally for it too because he loves it just as much but the poor guy whenever I say hey honey I want he always knows it's either a new cow or a new species to come to the farm or fence to be built or something regarding the livestock because I get so consumed in wanting all of this, but then I realize that shipping maple syrup and four kids keep me really busy. So <laughs> he's, a, he's a really good sport about it. But yeah, we pasture raise um, some beef. We do pork and we do poultry, which is meat chickens and um, Thanksgiving turkeys. Um, we have a flock of laying hens. We do some lamb. And I'm trying to convince him that we should raise uh, meat goats next year. And <laughs> he's on the fence about it, but I think he, <laughs> I think he's good. So, um, so yeah, we pasture that. We try to do majority of that, especially our meat poultry, um, spring through fall, uh, because here in Vermont, the winters can be pretty harsh and poultry is not so great in winter. Um, so we try and do most of it in the summer. And yeah, so we have that going on full time too. Wow. Never a dull moment the way it sounds. No, no, never. <laughs> so we have a lot of listeners who I know have dreams of having their own farm someday or expanding the farm that they live on. Can you talk to us a little bit about what your process was and how, because you can't do it all at once, right? So how did you approach that? And how did you gradually build it to where you're at today? Yeah. Um, so when we purchased the farm, um, like I said, there was no house here. It didn't come with any infrastructure. And, you know, we just, I'm sure 
we're not alone in just not having a lot of financial leeway, so to speak. We're we're fresh out of college. We had student loan debt and that's and now a new mortgage and that's pretty much it. So I had to work full time. Um, So we purchased the farm, we purchased the land, but it wasn't something that we could really do until we started paying down some debt and, you know, putting some sweat equity into the place. Um, So I worked full time for about two and a half years. Uh, My husband has always done construction full time to kind of make ends meet. And uh, we started smaller with poultry because they don't really require as much infrastructure. Um, so we got a flock of laying hens and we did some meat chickens because they're also seasonal and they were easy to raise on pasture. And we just started selling to people who uh, basically pre-ordered um, because we didn't have the farm stand yet. I don't know if I've mentioned that yet, but we sell our meats and our maple also here right on the farm in a little farm stand store. Um, I love that. And yeah, it's really convenient with four kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we didn't have that store yet, but we still wanted to raise meats for ourselves. So we figured, you know, if we're going to raise meat for ourselves, we can grow a little bit extra sell some to our local community that want to stock up for winter and it'll kind of help offset the cost of our own meat and that's kind of been our go-to for a little while now is you know we're now a family of six we consume a lot of food ourselves so um instead of just raising meats for ourselves it's always been we'll just raise a little bit more for the locals who want to stop by and grab some local meats um so we both worked full-time we started small we started selling to people who wanted to pre-order that way we kind of we didn't have a lot of overhead we didn't we wouldn't raise 300 chickens and only sell 50 of them you know we knew exactly Mm -hmm. what we were gonna be selling and um that kind of helped and my husband has always been a huge part of his parents family sugaring operation um you know he was the grunt work because he was you know the young son that had tons of energy and was young and (laughs) to do it so um and you know we started making syrup with them together being a partner almost and so we were able to start bottling up syrup um that way and starting to sell that way and then um when we were able to pay down some debt and take out more debt to build the sugar house and install everything in the woods. Um, We did that and we were able to sell more maple crop, which has helped with the cash flow of everything else. And, you know, just tacking on to the seasonal part, you know, the turkeys are seasonal. They don't require a lot of infrastructure. We just make little hoop houses out of livestock panels and throw a tarp over it to keep them out of the wind, sun, and rain. But, you know, we don't have to worry about snow or anything like that because they're gone before then. Yeah. So I guess it's just kind of knowing what you're able to do at what time. Like we didn't jump all in right away and you know having Trent work off the farm you know until we're comfortable with him stepping away from that a little bit um, which is 
the end goal is to have them here full time, but we're not quite there yet. But we know if we keep focusing on uh, certain things here and expanding a little bit at a time, then hopefully we can get to that point. Yeah, absolutely. What has been the most, well, let's start with this. What have been some of the biggest things you've learned along the way? Oh, man. I don't even know where to start with that. <laughs> I feel like there's been so many things, even just like little things. Like uh, I had to basically learn. I didn't have anyone tell me how to start a website, which one's the best, how to, sh- I, I'm, the first gallon of syrup we shipped, we lost probably $50 on. <laughs> and, oh man! So it's just, you know, it's just learning curves that like, you, I, I don't know. And so the whole starting a maple sh- business, so Vermont is just saturated with maple syrup. So you walk into any store, doesn't even if it's like, uh, general store out in the middle of nowhere. They've probably got four different producers maple syrup out there. So we knew if we wanted to do and go all in on this and we wanted to get more than just bottom dollar price for our syrup, then we needed to try and get it out of Vermont into someone else's hands that can't make it themselves or get it two feet away from their house. Um, so just learning how to do that from start to finish, I have learned hundreds of thousands of things and I am happy to share anything I've learned with anybody if it pertains to anybody, because if someone had just told me certain little things that I had to learn the hard way, it would have saved me a lot of time and money. Um, but, um, and then, you know, just figuring out what works for our farm. So we do a lot of the seasonal things. Well, our first, or was it last year, we raised two groups of meat birds instead of one, and the ones towards the end of the season, it just got too cold, and we lost quite a bit of birds just to coldness, and we had some flooding, so we learned the hard way that end of October is not a good month for meat chickens, so we had to lose a bunch of chickens to figure that out, and So here we are. So now we're back to one group, which is great. And it's in the middle of summer when it's warm out. So we don't have to worry about it. But it's just, you know, little things that I shouldn't say little, they've kind of been big things. But like, you know, we'll never make that mistake again. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know what other things. Yeah, uh, good fencers are always a good thing. (laughs) The way our farm is laid out is, and another reason why we loved this farm for what we're doing, um, we have a main Vermont, I wouldn't call it a highway, we don't really have like major highways in Vermont, it's like a normal road, but it's like a high traffic road, and it's technically called Vermont State Route 116, and it literally goes down the middle of our farm, so half of our land is on one side and the other half is on the other. Um, which is a pain, but it's also we wanted to be on a high traffic road where we could um, get a lot of people to stop in at our farm stand. Um, And so when we have cattle that gets out of the fence, whether it be pigs or what have you, cows, you know, it's kind of a big deal because there's a lot of traffic and it's, you know, 50 mile an hour zone. So, um, 
we've had to learn the hard way that, you know, fence is really important and you got to spend the big bucks on the fencers to keep them in because they're not cheap. And we tried to cheap out on solar fencers and it just, just doesn't work. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like we learn something every day. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine what's been the most rewarding part of all this. Um, connecting with our customers has been, especially for me, you know, I said I worked full-time and now I'm full-time at home. Uh, and I, the whole pitch was, you know, I'm going to ship our maple syrup and I'm going to make money from home, which is great. And it's super helpful, but I think the most, the nicest thing for me is, you know, I'm around children all day, but I have these wonderful customers and adults who connect connected with me on social media but they I can actually like I could probably call a lot of them friends now and that has been so rewarding because I feel like I have this community that um, we've built who's so supportive and it makes all the difference in the world um, you know just being home and starting a business and having people to talk to and you know that's just been huge is just the community and connecting with customers and having them just enjoy a product that we've worked really hard to make. Yeah, that's great. How are your kids involved? Um, so the kids ages is seven, five, three, and six months. So uh, the seven and the five-year-old are pretty good. They do chores with us, you know, feeding and watering the animals, moving them fence stuff in and when we boil syrup uh they're basically just hanging out in the sugar house just because there's not really much for them to do as far as like boiling sap and fire and all that good stuff with kids um so they're basically just our shadows right now but um <laughs> it but we want them to be our shadows it kind of makes some things more difficult but we want them to see what work is capable of and we want them to enjoy and appreciate um, the things that we are able to do with the land that we have um, and our three-year-old he just loves everything he just wants to do everything he wants to be a part of everything he it's just I just love seeing them enjoy this life um, yeah that's so good plan to we plan to put them to work for sure when they get older. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. What excites you most about the future of rural America? Um, you know, I think that rural America has a lot to offer. I think there's a lot of hidden gems and, um, you know, like us, you know, we have such an opportunity of getting, um, good things out to other people all across the world and I think that um, raising kids in rural America is I don't want to say it's it's rare now but it almost is like even where we are I think just the displacement of everything that rural America was built on is almost semi-disappearing or at least we're seeing it here in Vermont which even just in my lifetime, I've seen it change dramatically. Um, but 
I think it's a just I get so excited that they enjoy this ruralness and I hope that they can continue it to preserve it because I think that we need what rural America has to offer. Your maple syrup is is actually one of the products that we featured in our Rural Creators and Makers holiday gift list. Tell us more about the products that you have available that would make great Christmas gifts. Yeah, so our maple syrup, uh, we, we just have a plain Jane maple syrup, but we've got it in a variety of different um, jugs and bottles and glass bottles. Uh, we love plain maple syrup. And I say plain, but there's really nothing plain about it. It is so, del- have you had real maple syrup? I have to ask. Yes, it's it's pretty great. <laughs> I'm going to send you some of ours. It's just, you know, it's a flavor all of its own. It's delicious and everything. And so we've tried to put it in a couple of different um, bottled options. Um, but we also make two different flavored maple syrups that seem to be really popular. And one is a bourbon barrel aged um, maple syrup and that's aged in a freshly emptied bourbon barrel for about six months there's no alcohol in it um, and that one is my husband's favorite he puts that one in his coffee um, and then we also do a uh, cocoa or caco cocoa I'll just say cocoa nib um, infused maple syrup so basically we're taking the nib is the original form of cocoa powder And so we add that into our maple syrup and let it infuse for about two weeks. And that gives it just like a hint of chocolate. And so if you're a big chocolate lover, this is like, this has been like our biggest seller in the past couple months. And I think people just really enjoy it because it gives them the best of both. Um, So we do that, but we also try to put things together. So we have a breakfast gift box which is um, one of our farm pottery mugs with one of our eight ounce pure maple syrups and a pancake mix that we buy locally from a grain farmer um, up the road and he grows all of his own organic grains and he makes a delicious uh, pancake mix and it's actually the nitty gritty green company and it's because it's a cornmeal pancake mix so it's, it's a delicious twist on pancakes. We love it. And so that's our breakfast gift box. And then we also do the maple sampler gift box, which has the three that I just talked about, the regular, the bourbon, and the cocoa nib infused. And so that's just eight ounces of each of those. So you can kind of taste all three of those. Um, and yeah, we do our birch syrup and then just... Uh, couple of other maple products that I try to keep in stock full time, but I can't usually keep up. (laughs) But I'm hoping in the next week or so, I can get caught up on our maple butter, which is a mixture of maple syrup and dairy butter. We do a maple sugar, which is kind of like a granulated sugar, just pure 100% maple. And we do maple candies, which is also 100% maple we just boil it down and use our candy machine that stirs it a certain way and it becomes this creamy delicious maple candy 
um, that we've put into molds and those are typically used in stocking stuffers everywhere. Um, so hopefully we'll get all those restocked and um, yeah, that's kind of what we have. Um, yeah. Perfect. That sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, how do we follow along with what you have going on and, and order those great things that you were telling us about? Yeah. Uh, you, so I try to post as much as I can on Instagram. Um, and I love connecting with people there. I try to show the behind the scenes and the day-to-day -day life, um, doing the maple, the farming, the kids, everything. Um, and I'm also on Facebook and we have a website, uh, thegatewayfarm.com, and that is where our online shop is. And so you can find all of our product there and order through the website. Perfect. Well, I will link to all of that in the show notes. So you guys be sure to go give Abby a follow, check out their products, order some of those for your Christmas gifts. And um, Abby, we can't wait to keep following along and watching what you guys are doing. So thank you. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Well, I love all the different things Abby and her family are involved in on the farm and how they believed their dream was possible, even when others didn't. Be sure to check out the show notes for links where you can follow Abby on the farm and where you can purchase their products. Also, be sure to check out our Rural Makers and Creators gift guide for some great gift ideas all made in rural America. And if you're a small business owner, we've created over 60 social media templates you can download on our website to help you encourage your followers to shop small this Christmas season. I trust you're super inspired from today's episode and probably have a handful of people you know would love to hear it. So go ahead and text them the link and leave us a kind review while you're at it so we can keep spreading the rural revival message far and wide. And stay tuned in with us on Instagram and Facebook at Rural Revival Co. to keep updated on this podcast and all things Rural Revival related. We'll catch you next time on the Rural Revival Podcast. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.